This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the guy behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find Out of Water on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Let's go to our studio now and our host, Pastor Sam Kastensmith. Welcome to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. We are in the midst of our spiritual disciplines series, and today we're going to be talking about evangelism. I am your host, Sam Kastensmith. I am joined in the studio by Drew Brown, our co-director of student ministries. Hello. Will Bushman, co-director of student ministries. Ayo. And what was that? Was that like Australian hello? It was ayo. Ayo. And (laughs) Isabel Adams, who is a writer for our ministry that does our personal worship, uh, pushes in our app and for our website. So thanks so much for joining us. To jump right in, there was a recent poll that came out. When you ask the different generations, so this includes millennials, Generation X, the baby boomers, and then the elders, the greatest generation, uh, they ask, you know, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Overwhelmingly, every age group says yes. Then the next question that they said, do you agree with this? The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. And again, overwhelmingly, everybody says yes. Of course, this is a a survey among Christians. And so then the last question uh, here is, or the last statement is, it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. So the elders are okay with that. The the boomers are okay with that. Gen X is okay with that. 47% of millennials believe that it's wrong to share faith, share your faith with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they convert. Mm-hmm. Why has this happened? I think there's like a strong emphasis on your truth is your truth. Like, mm, let yeah. me believe what I want to believe and you believe your truth and that's fine, but let's just not bother each other. Stay in your own lane. And so the moment that you then not only share what you believe to be true with, but when it's with the expectation that then I will also receive it, then it feels, I think, culturally, there's this attitude of like, that's invasive and mm-hmm. that's yeah. disrespectful. Yeah. And it's like, even to the point of, I've literally heard people say, um, don't worry, I'm not trying to like convert you or anything. <laughs> right. So right. it's like, it was almost this, like thing fear. That could ever happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The reality is that every time that you're sharing your personal beliefs, you're trying to show that your beliefs are correct. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't go into a conversation and say, "Well, my beliefs are stupid and yours are correct, but let's have this conversation yeah. anyway." You go with the presupposition that what you believe about ultimate things is correct. Mm-hmm. And so, and pretty much in any time you have a disagreement with somebody, you're you're advancing your views, right? Mm-hmm. So someone who says to you, "You shouldn't advance your views." What are they doing? They're advancing the view that you shouldn't advance your views. So everybody's always advancing a viewpoint. Yeah. And so evangelism, even even when I was a kid, I can remember people knocking on the door to come and, and share their faith, whether they were Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or whatever. You know, there was an awkwardness to that. Like, I can't believe that they're doing that. This is mm-hmm. something that's sacred and something that's private, and we should never talk about this in public. Um, but the gospel does come along and and say that part of being a Christian has a responsibility to share this good news that we've received. 
Yeah. I mean, Jesus' last words are go and tell the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Tell them what I've told you and make them disciples and baptize them. So yeah. that's literally the call that Jesus gives us is to go out and to, to evangelize. One of the helpful pictures of this that I love, it's actually where the word evangelism comes from. It's a, it's a Greek word, evangelion. And back in the ancient world, even before the times of Jesus, when you would have messengers that would have to run to go and share reports, they would come in to a town screaming out whatever the news was. And one of the most famous examples of that was uh, during the Battle of Marathon, there was a, a messenger whose name was Phidippides. That's kind of a fun name to say, Phidippides. Um, and so the Greeks, the Athenians, were actually expected to lose this battle against the Persians. Spartans wouldn't come and help because they were superstitious, and so they were delayed in coming to help. And the Athenians were expecting to fall. And so, to everyone's surprise, the Athenians won, and they send this guy, Phidippides, to run from Marathon to Athens, which is roughly 26 miles. That's where we get the idea for marathons, modern-day marathons. He runs into the town, and he's shouting the good news that they had won. And so that was, that was the evangelism. That was the good news. We've won. We've won. And then he dropped dead, uh, which is why no one should ever Dark. run a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> but this was the idea. You're, you're coming in and you're announcing good news. We've won. And that's the heart behind evangelism. And so when, when you look at it from that perspective, it's coming to you with the good news that the battle has been won. Mm. Sin has been defeated. Death has been destroyed. Jesus now stands welcome, ready to receive you into that victory. And it's like we're those messengers going, we've won, we've won, we have a victory. And that's the heart behind evangelism. It's good news that Jesus has triumphed. I just had a question about the one stat. Um, were yes. these, you know, the, the 47% of uh, millennials think it's wrong mm-hmm. to share personal beliefs with one? I mean, do you think part of that could be the maturing process of becoming Christians? Like, millennials are still pretty young at this day and age. Sure, where that's a good question. Um, so I just think it is interesting thinking about, like, man, what what is Jesus worth to us? Like, we're still in this culture to where millennials right now, we're, we're, we're trying to be influencers on Instagram. It's self-image. It's very, what do people think of me? How mm-hmm. is that? And I think that has seeped largely into this you know, evangelism conversation, because mm. I don't want to share my beliefs, not necessarily for that I may hurt you, but I don't want you to be hurt by me and therefore maybe dislike me for things right. to become yeah. uncomfortable. Huh. So it is one of those idle things of self that, I mean, and for me, being a millennial, I'm proud of it. <laughs> um, it is this whole idea of self-image. It's this Man, what am, what is going to happen after I start talking about this? I'm going to be crazy. Yeah. I'm going to be a psycho. You know, you know what, yeah. what are they going to think what are they of say me? About me? But there's also like such a misconception about what evangelism is supposed to look like yeah. that I think we've inherited definitions from previous generations yeah. that aren't accurate. Yeah. So, you know, it used to be, we think of, when we think of evangelism or somebody who's a master evangelist, we, we think of Billy Graham. 
and we, you know, the older generations at least do. And they think of stadiums being filled with people. And Billy Graham gets up on the stage and he says, you know, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you are on a path to destruction. And the only way that there is salvation for you is found in Jesus Christ. So come and confess that you're a sinner and receive salvation and place your trust in Jesus. Now, all of that is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And in a generation of the 1950s and 60s and 70s, that crowd that crowded into that stadium heard you fall short of the glory of God and you deserve eternal punishment. And you know what they said? You're right. How do I, how do, how do I find salvation? Uh-huh. If you packed a stadium today and said you are all worthy of punishment, the reaction would be visceral, very, yes. very, very different. Yes. And the, the difference is, and this is, this is just, I'm going to put it out there, like, Slowly but surely, our nation, our culture, and the generations do not fear God the way previous generations mm-hmm. do. And so even, even the, the methods by which we evangelize, everybody's recognizing that we need to change them. Yeah. And the early ones weren't wrong, but you just have to meet people where they are. So, Will, what you're talking about, um, in olden generations, that was the need. People mm-hmm. realized that they needed to be radically transformed. They knew that there was something wrong with their soul and they desperately wanted to be made right with God because they felt like they were on a bad path and they wanted a savior. Mm-hmm. Now people aren't asking those same questions. They're asking the questions you just brought up. Mm. I feel alone. Mm. I feel like my life doesn't mean anything. What is my purpose? And the gospel not only answers the questions about eternal faiths, the gospel is the only thing that can give a satisfying answer to those questions. Mm-hmm. And so the means by which you evangelize, it's not only good news, hey, you have somebody who suffered the fate of hell for you and paid the penalty of your sin. That's one part of the gospel. That's great news. There's another part of the gospel that says that your identity and your value is not in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have a Savior who sees you as so valuable, he would give everything to make you a son or daughter. Yeah. And I think I think like especially with millennials but just the generations now that being feeling heard is extremely uh like valuable and it's very much so I think there can be a stigma that with an evangelism you don't want to listen you just want to tell and you just want me to agree and just sit there silently. And so I think even now, like Will and I work with middle school and high school students. Um, I see this especially with them, but even with our friends and our age group, like there's just this longing to understand that you are willing to also listen to the person you're evangelizing to and really honestly hear what they think and what they're struggling with instead of just saying, hey, this is, here's my presentation. And I think that that's something that's unique about these generations now is just the younger generation does want to be heard. And some of that might come from this, like you said, just this, or, well, you're saying this like self-influencer, yeah. maybe a little bit of pride in that. But I think that that is a big thing with maybe why millennials can be hesitant with evangelism is just uh, not wanting to make people feel like they don't hear them, yeah. which yeah. doesn't make it right to not evangelize, but I think it does maybe change the way we have yeah. to think about evangelizing. So I was watching this video of how they do evangelism in Iran, which is the fastest growing church on the planet right now. And w- one of the pastors was pointing out, you know, by our view of converts, you know, what it means to be a, a 
Christian, an mm-hmm. evangelical Christian. You have to affirm all these things. You have to affirm, you know, that Jesus is God, that he raised from the dead, that mm-hmm. his that his death on the cross atoned for our sin and all these things. And he was pointing out, you know, by that definition, Jesus spent three years leading around 12 disciples who were not yet converts. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they didn't get it. They were constantly stumbling over that. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that he would be raised. They were confused every time he brought it up. And it's not until he, after he's raised from the dead that they become converts. And so what this guy was pointing out is discipleship. We tend to think you have to convert somebody before you begin discipling them. And this guy was pointing out, no, the biblical model is you come alongside somebody. You do life. You point them to truth. You show them love. You show them generosity. You show them who God is. Mm-hmm. And then comes the conversion. That's beautiful, um, yeah. And that's that's actually what you find more often than not in the Bible. They're not going around carpet bombing people with Bible, you know, evangelism tracks and hoping somebody comes and then saying, "Hey, I'll disciple you." They're doing life with people. Yeah. And then after a while, people come along and say, "I believe this." When you present the gospel as being transactional, like I'm presenting it and they're either going to give me a yes or a no, it puts an unbelievable and an unnecessary burden on that moment. Not only for them, but for, for you. you. And the reason why people are terrified of evangelism is it all builds up to this transaction. And if I fail or if I misspeak or if I say the wrong thing during this presentation or if when I ask them this or whatever, no, like the process of evangelism, we're starting to understand it's not a transactional one mm-hmm. moment climactic, oh, heaven or hell's on the line right now, <laughs> you know. It's relational. Like, I want to get to know you. I, w- I want to pour into your life. I, I want to have these conversations. I want you to be heard. I want you to wrestle with these things. Mm-hmm. I had to wrestle with them. And when you view evangelism like that, now all of a sudden, the gravity of, what if I fail? What if I fail? What mm-hmm. if I fail? You know, that's not there. It's not yours to own anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is between the Lord and that person. But you're being a faithful witness to say, hey, I walk with God, and he brings me comfort, and this is the truth he's given me. Let's walk together. Hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, a cool way I heard that was this, we're shifting from a binary switch evangelism to yeah. where at the end of this conversation, you're going to give me a yes or no to a pilgrimage that we're going to walk with people for years in and out of life, hard seasons, good seasons, and we may not see that fruit. But for me, that was a huge shift in my mind, that that shift from binary to pilgrimage is what now we're going to see, especially in America right now of we're on longer journeys with people, that we can't put it all of our investment. Evangelism is not one conversation after a knock on the door. It's not, I have this one chance to make my, you know, thinking about people's biggest fears of public speaking in heaven or hell. I mean, think about evangelism combining both of those and just yeah, right, the yeah. straight yeah. terrifying nature of that. No wonder, you know, it's declining. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to meeting people where they are and imagine, you know, feeling that, love of Jesus through somebody who's willing to be faithful and walk that road with you as you, as you live your life and as you figure things out and as you have questions and you wrestle with things. And I think that's, yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it to pilgrimage. Yeah. And, and it's one that the Bible, yeah, we all take and the Bible makes it clear that it's not just some people that are called to be evangelists. Every single Mm -hmm. person who bears the name of Christ is called to be an evangelist. And the Great Commission, Matthew 28, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, some, some translations that I like actually of this, is as you go. 
As you go, make disciples of all nations. You're actively making disciples. That's a long process. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, he says this, and this is the great comfort. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts at the beginning, right before the ascension, he again says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there's no doubt, I mean, Jesus makes it crystal clear what he expects from us. We're to be evangelists. We're to go out and share this good news and to call people into relationship and disciple them. But what do you think are the, le- like, what are the main reasons why we just don't want to do that? I mean, there's, it's awkward, but why else? Honestly, I think one for me is maybe I, I just don't put myself in positions or places or relationships where I could be doing that. So I work here at a church. I um, have a lot of Christian friends. And if I'm being honest, it can be very easy to stay in that world and stay in that bubble and not seek out opportunities to evangelize. And so I've told like all of you guys recently, but even just, I got a puppy a few months ago and it's been wonderful and great having that, but it's been one of the coolest things about it is it's forced me to get out into the city in a way that I really haven't in a very long time. And so I have more friends now who aren't believers than I did five months ago, but they were always right there, literally in my building or literally they would take walks every single night downtown and down by the river. And I just never went out there to where they were. And now that I'm placing myself in positions where they're there, I'm actually starting to form relationships. But a huge one for me was I just didn't make the time to put myself in a position to evangelize. This is a question you never want to answer with a microphone. Because <laughs> um, it is convicting, this whole evangelism talk and just thinking about you know lifestyle and what that does. And, and uh, I'm in the same boat as Drew, but also those conversations do come up in my life. And I, you know, it's just, what do I value more if I'm honest? I mean, I just think it's a crazy fact. You know, am I going to value this person's opinion of me over this? What I believe is life-giving truth, life-saving truth, you know, is an absolute truth. Like, it's not just, hey, you can feel however you want, whatever you want. There's lots of truths here. But what I believe is that this is the truth that is life-saving. That So I think it comes down to I don't necessarily believe in the urgency of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do lack a little bit of this fire that's like, Man, this this world could end right now at any moment before this podcast is over. I, I don't live a life that follows that ethic. Huh. Yeah. And so the relationships I have, I'm like, oh, well, we'll get to it eventually. And, and there is you know, some strategy, and there's some not just blowing it up in their faces. But there is also something, Will, you can avoid this conversation with lots of excuses for yeah. a long time. And one day, you're just going to have to do it. Yeah. Like, you're going to have yeah. to, you know, and part of that is praying through that kind of conviction and that kind of pride in me that doesn't want to stumble in any way in that. Mm -hmm. And I think being in that Christian bubble also makes it easy for us to avoid those hard conversations. Um, And I know something I struggle with is I want to know that I have all the answers. If somebody were to ask me one of those hard questions, like, can I answer it? And if, and if I, if I trip over my words, are they going to like, you know, I, I'm so worried about what they think of me Mm -hmm. rather than if they see Jesus in me. And if I'm representing the gospel properly. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, in our church we have an evangelism 
tool, and it, it really is a tool, but it's, it's even more than that. It's really wonderful. It's a program called Alpha. Alpha does something that's a little bit different. It invites people into the journey that we talked yeah. about. When you come, it's got particular topics each night. And so, you know, like the first one is, there's got to be more to life than this. And so it presents a, a short Christian, a video from a Christian perspective to answer that. But then, in a very, very non-judgmental way, um, everybody sits around and wrestles through that together, and they, they do it over dinner. And, you know, everybody who goes through Alpha will talk about how wonderful the community is and how they will grow together. They, they won't let me lead a group because I don't shut up. <laughs> they, they put me on the prayer team. Um, they promoted me to the prayer yeah, that's team. That's what they say. Because you're, the idea is you want other people to talk and to be able to share their ideas and to wrestle through this over many weeks and building friendships with one another. And, you know, strangely, it's, it's never like, hey, are you in or are you out? That, that is yeah. never like, it's never the decision time or the high pressure, but it's where you get to wrestle with things. And one of the things that's interesting about this program is the rates of people, like if you actually spend some time wrestling through the greater thoughts and greater questions of life, the numbers of people that are subsequently plugged into church and giving their life to Christ, it's overwhelming. It's it's north of 80%. I forget what the numbers are. Within a year after going through this program, they get plugged in uh, to a church and would would claim Christ. And so that wrestling match is really, really profound. And so when we're talking about feeling uncomfortable sharing, because that's that's a fear that everybody has when you're sharing with somebody that they're going to ask you a question that stumps you mm-hmm. or makes you feel stupid, you know, even for those situations, it's wonderful to be able to say, you know what, there's a group that gets together that talks about these very kinds of questions. You know, mm-hmm. you should come on Thursday night to Alpha it's great. You'll love it. I'll go with you, and we can talk about those things. I don't know the answers, but someone else might, and it relieves you of that burden. Yeah, I think the crazy thing that I've learned about Alpha is the questions that I think they're asking. They are asking, but that's not what's keeping them from Jesus. You know, the theological sure. questions or the the doctrine questions, and I'm like, I'm not exactly sure if I know the answer to that. And that might be the first thing they ask is the intellectual questions. But as you journey with people throughout the weeks, you know, week two comes around and week three comes around, and it turns out their their issues with God are not these intellectual, you know, huge questions, but but they're really deep, they're really personal, they're really relational. There's a lot of history with the church or my parents or, or like this. So it's been amazing to see that, man, when you walk through with people, it's not just the intellectual things that, you know, the apologetics questions that those are important and some people's stories, but most people's stories, their issues with God are not something that you can answer with one sentence, but it's a cultural thing. It's a relational thing. It's showing that, man, these people love me, that they're not what I thought about them because most of these people have never stepped into a church, you know, in this generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the really cool things, (laughs) we're just going to keep talking about Alpha, but it's such a great tool, like you were saying, because I think... um, you know, we get focused on how uncomfortable we are sharing the gospel. But for some of these people coming into Alpha, it's the first time they've been to church in years. And that's uncomfortable for them. Sure. And they have a lot of questions and maybe they're even nervous about asking those questions. But like you were saying, like you can't lead because you don't stop talking. Uh-huh. But it's like, but it, that's like, <laughs> there's a reason for that because they feel safe 
coming in and they don't feel like they're being like led by somebody who has all the answers. Yeah. They're like you said, wrestling through these things in a very, um, in a very safe place where it's okay to not, to not know everything mm-hmm. and yeah, when, to explore. When I was a young believer, um, I didn't realize the genius of this, but the pastor that I spent a lot of time with uh, when I was a young Christian, he used to drive me crazy. I would ask questions like, well, what about this? And he would be like, I don't know. Here's, here's some books. Go wrestle with it. Go figure it out. And I'd be like, no, just tell me the answer. Um, but there's something about wrestling with it that makes it your own. You're invested. You have ownership of it. It's not something that's been spoon-fed to you. And, you know, I think that that is like... A part of of doing evangelism well is I was even listening to a sermon by Tim Keller this week where he said part of loving people is knowing people and learning the best way to speak to them. So knowing their language, their cultural language enough Mm -hmm. to speak well into it. Um, But I do have to say, I do still find myself very challenged and encouraged by people who do have that fire um, and that urgency. I think that there's something to be learned in that as well from people who uh, who live each day like this could be the last, yeah. you know? And I know I have a lot of friends like that, honestly, and they they go out and they will, you know, by the end of the meal, the waitress is sitting at the table too because they want to love that waitress well. And I mean, obviously, like you were saying, well, there's strategy and there's wisdom and ways to not make people feel like they're being singled out or and to do it well but i i do you guys know people like that who they live in a way that's just passionate all in it's let's go yeah. yeah yeah i hate being with them sometimes yeah. but i also respect it a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable but it's like you said you know they they're loving the person in front of them mm-hmm. there's this great in fact why don't we play this there's this great clip uh, that is Penn Jillette, the He's a magician, but he's also a very thoughtful libertarian. He's an atheist, uh, talking about how someone came up to him with a desire to share the gospel. So listen to this clip. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and... Uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition Um I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman, 
I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and... uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Wow. What do you guys think of that? I love that video. Will and I show that to our students at Impact probably at least one to two times every year. But it's powerful because it's so, firstly, it's so honest Mm. and it is extremely convicting because it's interesting. I feel like oftentimes in these conversations about evangelism as Christians, it's us as Christians kind of throwing our ideas around together. But to hear somebody who is a self-proclaimed atheist Mm -hmm kind of call us out a little bit of uh, he's speaking to the importance of evangelism. But I think that's, so that's convicting to hear somebody who doesn't even share the beliefs that I hold as a Christian basically say like, Hey, if you really believe what you believe, then you should also Mm -hmm. believe and walk in evangelism actively. Yeah. I love that video. I think that's powerful too. I agree. I agree. I think it's wild because he is like, He's a well-known atheist. Yeah. And I just tried to put myself in that guy's shoes, that, that you go to this guy's show, you, you enjoy his gift. Yeah. You know, you enjoy his, you know, what we would say is God. I remember watching gift. him on The Apprentice. He's a likable guy. Like, I, yeah. I, I yeah. like Pendulette. Yeah, I just listened to a podcast, and I'm like, oh, 
this guy gets a lot of slack, and he's like pretty. I think he has a podcast called The Happy Atheist because he's trying to show people um, that they're not all mean he's and evangelizing angry. in yeah. his own way. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly right. Yeah, it's fast and just like. I mean, this guy is just from his shoes to go up after, A, meeting anyone that you enjoy or, or a celebrity type is kind of scary, but to, you know, kind of have the courage to say, hey, I think this is important to me and just, man, just really convicting. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, where our hearts are, where our passions are. Like if we feel really passionately about um, a movie or a sports team, we'll evangelize about that. Mm-hmm. And so if this is True. the thing that we're staking our lives on, just like he said, like how much do you have to hate someone to not want them to have eternal life? Yeah, that, that part always hits. Like, I know. Yeah. That hits hard. Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed though, he said a lot that this guy was polite and sane and a good yeah. guy. <laughs> and I think that that's Like that kind was of, a surprise. Yeah. Like that's like, that's <laughs> pretty so telling because there's got to be more to that, right? He must have had experiences with people who did not seem yeah. polite or sane. You're going to hell. Yeah, but we're evangelizing. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, even listening back to that, I found myself wondering, like, what if the world saw believers as people who were polite and sane and mm-hmm. just loved them enough to share? And mm-hmm. like, how powerful would that be if we were known in our city not as crazy and rude and just listen to me because I've got something to say? Religious. But, yeah, but as people who really loved people enough yeah. to yeah. share what we believed yeah, and in be a way real. That, yeah, exactly. but in a way that was gentle yep. and, and kind. Yeah, it shows you it's not just what you say, but how you say it. I think that's even mm-hmm. more pertinent mm-hmm. nowadays than ever because we are so divisive. Yeah. Like, you know for sure they're not going to believe what you believe almost right out of the gate, but they could believe that you respect people enough to do this and you're kind and you're compassionate and yeah. it's not an us versus them mentality. I think that'll go a long way right now in our Big cultural time. moment. You can hear a conversation that like Penn Jillette's talking about there. He still ends the thing saying, you know what, I I know there's no God. I'm not you know, I'm not going to become a Christian. But that had such an impression on him that there's something about the character of that person who talked to them. And the Bible says that we are letters from Christ. Paul tells us that, right? We might be the only gospel some people read. Um Ooh. and that yeah. kind of Shivers. a crazy thought. But when Jesus talks about sharing the gospel, you know, he tells the parable of the sower. It's casting seed, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know which seed is going to be the one that takes root and blossoms, right? And so you just, you cast seed. But the way that we treat evangelism is like, oh, here's this one seed and it's so precious and I've got to plant it just perfectly and make sure that it's the one that buds. No, man, the, the crop grows with a multitude of seed being cast out by, you know, <laughs> all over the place. And God will make flourish whichever one he it's deems on to us. be the one. Yeah, it's not all on us. Yeah, like it's literally not on us, other than to be faithful, to to love people enough to share. But somebody coming to believe in Jesus Christ, coming from life to death, as like Scripture shows us, like that's all the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And we just get to share and yeah. for me remembering that like lets me breathe a little bit like Definitely. i can't i can't make the most persuasive eloquent speech presentation that's going to convince someone to place their faith in jesus christ like only god is going to do that through that person however he can use me as a piece of their story to share his his word and to share um, about him mm-hmm. and that he can it's cool like he can use us 
to speak to people, but he's the one that's going to do it. And so then mm-hmm. that kind of frees us up just to be used by God. Yes, exactly. We're just, we're just here to glorify him and be his image bearers. And I, I always think about those who are closest to me, because I think it's easy to um, think about those that we don't know that we could like, whether it's people at the coffee shop or the grocery store, but what about like our spouses and our children and our siblings and the friends that are closest to us that see us, that see us at our worst? Mm. Like, how yeah. are we um, giving them Jesus? It almost can be scarier to evangelize, I think, sometimes to the people yeah. closer to you. Yeah, they it's see so all the vulnerable. mess. Cause yeah. they, and there's, it's more costly. You it know, is. I go to the coffee shop, I talk to you, may never see you again. Yeah, exactly. But with my good friend, it feels like there's more on the line. Yeah. Um, they see your walk. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I think for me at least, that fear of... Uh, what are you going to think about me? It's it's stronger with the people who mm-hmm. I know more. So that goes back to like it all being on us. Yeah, and I think you ch- you change it around to where when you're with the people that you love the most, you're training them. You, you know, we we tend to think, oh, I've got to be perfect. I can't make any mistakes in front of my children. No, 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 no. You have to admit to mistakes. Correct. That's where you get to model grace and show them that even dad needs forgiveness. Even oh, yeah. dad needs mercy. Even dad needs grace. And, and to, to live in a way that shows your kids that you've got freedom yeah. to be imperfect because Jesus was perfect for you. Definitely. And that, that changes the way you live. But it's, that's what you need to model to your kids, not just the moralism of religion. Oh, it's the beauty of the grace that comes with the gospel, the good news that Jesus has won um, for me. And, you know, we look at evangelism and, and we tend to think of it as this, I don't know, it's like stark. We get scared and uncomfortable. It's if I were word. to ask you to, you know, if I saw, you know, somebody out of the window of where we're podcasting who's working on the sprinklers and I said, hey, let's go share the gospel with them, your stomach would be in knots. You would want to, <laughs> you'd want to run away, right? <laughs> There's something about it that makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the, the picture that God gives us, and I think this is really beautiful, and, and to have this in mind when we're evangelizing and discipling others, but at the very beginning of Scripture, we talked about this a little bit in our, our episode on work, but in the beginning of Scripture, God comes to us, He creates Adam and Eve, He puts them in the garden, but the garden is just, it's small, it's, it's a tiny garden, but He tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to transform the rest of the world according to his design into this beautiful garden, right? To spread the boundaries of the garden so that the whole earth becomes beautiful. That's the mission of the first parents. That's Adam and Eve's calling. And in evangelism, Jesus uses much of the same language, right? And what does he call on us to do? He calls us to scatter seed. He calls upon us to, to transform hearts so that others bear fruit, in evangelism, we're doing spiritually what Adam and Eve were called to do physically. We are transforming this world into a garden. We're taking hearts that are set toward self and death and darkness and hopelessness and despair and sadness and loneliness, and we are transforming them with the hope of the gospel and the love of Christ to bring fruit in their hearts and to transform their hearts into a garden. And to and to something where life flourishes and there's beauty that comes out of it and fruitfulness that comes out of it. And so in some sense, you're carrying out this calling to take the garden of God, the beautiful design of God, 
and to spread it into the hearts of others. Now, and when you think of that, to want others to know that there's something greater out there, mm-hmm. that anxiety and despair and depression and disease and death and sadness and tears, they do not have the last word over you. Mm-hmm. When you're in your crisis, it does not have the last word over you. Jesus has triumphed. And that's the good news. And your identity in his sight has nothing to do whether you're good enough or your circumstance or your performance. You're liberated from that, that judgment of yourself, because we, man, we're really good at that. We love to, to put burdens on ourselves. And Jesus comes and says, no, you are clothed in my righteousness. You are seen as perfect in the sight of God. So walk free of guilt, walk free of shame. Come to me and receive life. And so we were talking earlier about the, the differences in generations. And, you know, I'd mentioned this at our dad's breakfast, the shift in Disney. You'd asked this question earlier, Drew. Yeah. If you go back to all the old Disney movies, the Disney movies used to be people needed to be transformed or spared from like a curse of death. So it was always somebody that was in a deep sleep or, you know, Pinocchio wants to become a real boy. There was a change that was needed, a salvation, a rescuer. And all of the movies now are, I want to be accepted as I am. I long mm-hmm. to be accepted and known and loved as I am. So, like, you get to Shrek. And in Pinocchio, Pinocchio longs to be transformed into the real boy when you get to Shrek the main message is we should just love Shrek as he is. And even mm-hmm. Fiona turns into the ogre, you know. Um, all of these different movies, now the idea is I don't want to feel ashamed of who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. Both of those are God-given desires. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be transformed. We want to be different. We know there's something wrong with our hearts. We know we're selfish. And so we do want to be transformed. And yet we want to be known as we are. We want to be loved where we are, as we are. And the gospel is the only thing in the world that comes and says, <laughs> Jesus comes with this good news, this triumph that says, you are going to be transformed because of what I've done. Mm-hmm. You are going to be rescued because of what I've done. But on the flip side, I know every single thing about you. I know all of your shame. I know all of your failures. I know all of it. And I love you to such an infinite measure that I would lay down everything for you. And so both desires, the millennial desire and the older generation's kind of desires of how they see it, the gospel satisfies both. It's the only thing that can. It's the only thing that frees you from those burdens. And so that is the good news that we want to bring to this world Mm -hmm. and to those that are listening. If you're walking around under the weight of condemnation or shame, there's no cure for it outside of the gospel. Definitely. Yeah, I am honestly getting really excited about this yeah. and thinking, again, just w- w- with the different conversations we've had about these spiritual disciplines, it's left me wanting to go home and think more specifically in my own life, like how is God calling me to take steps to implement these disciplines? But what do you guys think? How can listeners go home today and begin tangibly and practically apply or considering how to apply this discipline of evangelism in their life. I mean, Jesus said, they will know me by how you love each other. Mm -hmm. I feel like when you are so in love with Jesus that your, your heart is just saturated in affection for him, 
people see that and sometimes they don't exactly know what it is and they don't recognize it for what it is, but they want to know. Mm, that's cool. And I think there's, I think there's tiny steps. You can take baby steps. Uh, so, you know, if you feel uncomfortable having the conversation with somebody, invite them. It's, it's not too intimidating to invite somebody to come to dinners at Alpha or, you know, to invite somebody to church. But there's also, you know, you can give people books, resources. You know, I can't tell you the number of people I've given mere Christianity to because I think that book is just really wonderful for people that are at the beginning of wrestling with matters of faith. Um, but at the bottom of it, I think moving in the right direction, you know, it's it's realizing what treasure you have in the gospel. If you want to get good at evangelism, it's not going to happen until you realize just how amazing this gift is. And once you have it, to be like, you know, if you, ha- if you found the cure for cancer, and this is even better than that, by the way, but if I found the cure for cancer and I said, yeah, I'm just going to keep it for my family. You know, you wouldn't do that. You would be over the moon. You'd want to go on every news channel and tell everybody, come get this. I can, you know, you would do that. We need to treat the gospel with the weight and the gravity and the beauty that it holds for people. Life-saving. It's life-saving. It's right. And I think a really cool part of this is that we've all kind of said, hey, we don't change hearts. It's literally impossible for me to change anyone's heart. Um, So for me, my first tangible thing, thinking about evangelism is praying. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Because it is, you know, I'm saying, God, I can't do this, but my lifestyle says, God, I can do this. You know, hmm. I'm more into, you know, all good things of strategy and getting better and being more present with people, which are all blessed things um, that I think we're called to. But man, if I can't do this without prayer, yeah, like I can't, my, my anxiety goes down, you know, when I'm praying for a single person, man, when that conversation comes up, I don't know why, I don't know how, I mean, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. I'm ready at that point. So I can find, I see when I'm praying about evangelism, opportunities to evangelize, you know, comfort in evangelism, the, the words to say, the ideas, yeah. man, my evangelism goes way up. It's directly proportional to my prayer life and my mm-hmm. evangelistic life. That's yeah, good. and Jesus makes that point, like what I love, and, and when he gives us the Great Commission, which is the most famous command where he's telling us to go and share our faith, he, he sandwiches it between those two statements that are essential. He, the first one is, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That includes whether or not you're successful and your evangelism, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got all authority. He holds it all. Then he tells us, go, and then he gives us this assurance at the end, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he's saying, hey, I've got this. Yeah. I've got all, all power, all authority, and as you go, guess who's with you? I am. Yeah. So don't do it in your strength. Don't do it in your confidence. I've got the authority and I go with you. So go. Yeah, that's awesome. That's all very encouraging. I think too, when you sit in all that, because that's a lot. I mean, you could sit in each of those things that you guys just said for so long um, and wrestle through that. I think just practically speaking, um, a great first place to start, Tim Keller was saying this um, in a podcast I heard this week, is one, do people in your life even know that you go to church? Mm-hmm. It's a great place to start. Um, as you wrestle through these things, just start telling people, hey, like, does that even come up in conversation? Or is that like a secret part of their life? If you have coworkers, do they even know that you attend church? Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, he encouraged people to just start thinking about 
How can you naturally bring up your faith into conversation? How can you share about your life and say things like, yeah, I went through this really hard time, but you know, God's been really using this experience to teach me more about himself Mm -hmm. and see if that even sparks conversation. Um, And so starting even in small ways like that of make, bring your faith into normal conversation to where it's not just this presentation that you hit people with every now and then, but they expect it from you. It's a part of who you are, your friends, and that's part of the friendship. I love that. One of my one of my very favorite ways to evangelize, and I think it's one of the more successful ways to evangelize, is to show your scars and mm-hmm. how Christ has healed you. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So you see that when Jesus went around, like, for example, the woman at the well, um, when, after he shows her dignity, says God is looking exactly for someone like you. She had this, you know, broken, shameful past. She runs back into town, and what does she say? The first words out of her mouth are, there was this man who told me everything I'd ever done. All of a sudden, those things didn't hold possession on her. Yes. She was free of her shame. She went back into the town and was like, you guys, you need to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the blind man who, you know, I once was blind, but now I see. They're, they're looking at the ways that Jesus has changed their life, and they're eager to tell other people what a train wreck they were mm-hmm. before yeah. they met him. And that speaks to people, mm-hmm. I... you know. When when I get into a conversation with someone who's coming out of addiction, I want to show them what Jesus has done for me. When I'm talking with someone who's come out of depression, I want to show them what Jesus has done for me and sometimes mm-hmm. is continuing to do for me in seasons of sadness and darkness. Like I want to show my scars and my weakness and show how his strength helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, everybody has a story. And I think one of the most powerful things that we can do is tell our stories and also remind everybody else, like, you have a story, and it matters. And I, I love what you said about the woman at the well, and, and she was blown away by how Jesus saw her and knew her, and she was okay with being known. And I think it's Matt Chandler. He's a pastor from the Village Church in Texas. And he says, um, even if you are 99% known, you aren't fully known. That 1% matters. I mean, it matters to God and it matters to your, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, he calls us to be completely honest about who we are. He's glorified in that. He's glorified in our stories of redemption, of how he saved us from utter brokenness. Yeah. All our scars become his trophies. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. wonderful. And it's an easy way to love the world because I think yeah. a lot of people think that the church is filled with people who have it all together, they've figured it out, and it instead shows them, no, like, that's that's actually why we're following Christ, because we're aware that apart from Him, we're we're broken. We have have no hope, and so uh, it's a lot more... It's a lot more appealing, and it's a lot more encouraging to people when you're real. Definitely. So on that note, let's wrap this episode up, and I want to encourage you to increase in your boldness. Invite people to church. Invite them to to Alpha or whatever your church might offer. Be bold in sharing with people how Christ has rescued you. Even if you're not talking with them about them, share your story and what Jesus has done for you. That's it for this episode on evangelism. I want to thank you for joining us, and join us next time on the Out of Water Podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, 
riovistachurch.com slash out of water.